Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello ladies and gentlemen, my name's David Pembroke and welcome to this week's edition of In Transition, the podcast dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. I'm pleased to be with you once again as we bring you the insights and wisdom of the most interesting people working in the world of content marketing in government. Today, we head to one of the most innovative science and technology organisations in the world, the Australian Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, the CSIRO. But before we get into our interview today, it is, as we do each week, definition time. And our definition of content marketing, as it relates to government, is an adaptation of the Content Marketing Institute's definition of content marketing, which is... Content marketing is a strategic, measurable business process that relies on the curation, creation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content with the aim to engage and inform a clearly defined audience with the objective of achieving a desired citizen or stakeholder action. Well, our guest this week is Carol Saab. Carol is the content manager at the CSIRO. She's been with the organisation since 2009 and was proud to be at the development of the at CSIRO News Twitter account and the rollout of CSIRO blogs. Her work focuses on managing CSIRO's social networks across Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube and Pinterest, as well as the CSIRO blogs. She's had a varied background in television and digital media, including working at the launch of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation's number two network, ABC2. Carol joins me now. Thanks very much for being in transition. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Carol, tell us your story, that journey in transition from media professional to storyteller on behalf of a science and technology research organisation. I'd love to know what that was. It's it's an interesting one. I'd love to say it was highly orchestrated, but I'm afraid it wasn't. It's a little bit of having a very open mind about media and communications, I suppose. So I spent the first 10 years of my career working in televisions in particular at Sky in London and then Foxtel in Sydney and then ABC. Uh, And then I took a little bit of a kind of career break and kind of reassessed where I was heading and decided that I didn't want to be in old media anymore. I really loved the challenge of being in digital media. And ABC2 gave me a little bit of a snippet of that, I suppose, because it was run in a very new and innovative way. And it really tried to harness new technologies and to reach out to new audiences. So that got me thinking that perhaps where my interest really lay was in digital media. So I kind of manoeuvred a little bit, uh, got a role as a digital um, coordinator for a small non-profit organisation. And from there, I suppose, there were kind of small steps. I worked for a little bit of time at the Australian Film, Television and Radio School, launching a new part of their website. And I suppose I got a real taste for online media. And I got offered a six-month kind of project role here at the CSIRO in 2009. I thought, oh, geez, I won't stay along with them, you know. <laughs> Not really sure if science is where I want to go. But really comes, you know, the way we see it here, and this is what I learned in my first six months, is that the organisation really views communication not as science communication, but as communication as a separate kind of principle. Uh, and, in, and so that you didn't need to be necessarily well-versed in science or, or technology. Mind you, I had a personal kind of interest in that in that area. 
Uh, and then one thing led to the other. So I was a project manager and that's when I suppose I, I launched the Twitter account. It was a little bit of a test for us. And I got interested in, well, I got involved in a few other more interesting projects. Um, and then I took on the social media team and now I'm the content manager. So I've been very fortunate to have had three different um, career moves within the CSIRO and I suppose that's why I'm still here. So a little bit of kind of providence and you know, chance, David, to be but, honest. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that it's not an unusual journey, is it, mm -hmm. nowadays? You're starting to see media professionals or traditional media professionals like you, like me, and we end up in all sorts of different places because this notion of the capability, this democratisation of the, the factors of production and distribution of media is now enabling everyone to be a media company. Absolutely not. Look, I think it's really exciting. I have met a lot of communication professionals who are quite threatened by the fact you can't clearly define or put a circle or a square around what we do. I think, I personally think it's very exciting. I think it means that you can take a skill set and you can take basic um, kind of values and outlooks and uh, and desires. I, I, you know, I really want to communicate the best of what we do in this organisation to to the, to the Australian public. And you just can apply that in so many new and interesting ways on different platforms, through different mediums. You can try new things and, you know, they don't always have to work, but it shows a, a level of innovation and creativity. So um, personally, I think it's a real personality uh, trait, really, to be excited by the fact that your career could be something completely un... Un, what's the word I'm thinking of? But sort of unstructured, uh, and it can lead you in a whole in a whole raft of new and interesting paths. So I, you know that's really exciting for me, David. I think that's why it keeps me here, to be honest. Yeah. Well, well I think also people are going to have to increasingly be compelled to think that way because mm. the jobs are no longer going to be at the ABCs of the world, the Sydney Morning Heralds, the New York Times. The jobs for people who want to tell stories are going to be in government, they're going to be in brands, they're going to be in public sector companies, private sector companies, not-for-profits. That's where the opportunities will be. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And, and I think the way I've seen CSIRO evolve over time is that it's not wholly different to, you know, the kind of team structure I had at the ABC in the sense that, you know, it's we, we see ourselves as content generators now and, and we're kind of responsible for getting our stories out there. We don't necessarily just rely on old media. And so we strike up those relationships, we, we harness and we build our own channels. And in that way, you know, it's, it's quite similar to what I've been doing, but in some ways wholly different to what I've been doing. But I mean, that's very exciting. But interestingly though, I think that point that you made around mindset, skill set values, you know, the, exactly the same sort of approaches and the same integrity that you brought to your work when you were with Sky, with Foxtel, with the ABC, it's exactly the same mindset, skill set and value set that you bring to the CSIRO. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that I, I look at things quite differently in that way and that I, I see it as a, as a very kind of values-based style of working. Um, I just want to get the best stories out there. I want to work in a very open innovative, creative, kind of trusting, respectful environment. I know that sounds a little bit, you know, earnest, but I think if you apply those kinds of values and that kind of outlook to your work, I actually think what it does, what it really brings is, is an opportunity to try new things, to not be afraid of failure, to kind of reward risk-taking. I think that's the kind of that's the kind of overview I think you need to be successful in the, in the current comms environment, in the current comms uh, you know, to be a commerce professional because you do have to, you do have to embrace change, and I think you do have to take risks, 
and I think you do just have to want, you know, the one key underlining objective, which is to communicate in the best possible, most interesting way to your audience. Now, I do want to get on to the specifics of your role there at the CSIRO. And might I say, what a wonderful sandpit to play in every day <laughs> from a uh, storyteller's point of view. It must be, you know, it, it's not about what you know what we're going to tell. It's what we're going to have to leave out because the choice. On, I'm sure the choice is, is amazing. But what are the what are the lessons and the skills that you learned from your earlier days in, let's call it old media, that mm. you're applying that you've brought with you and that are helping you to do your job effectively to tell the story of uh, the CSIRO. Honestly, I think one of the key learnings. Um, of my time at the ABC is, is just to always think about the audience. You have to put the audience first. Um, and it's quite an interesting one, actually, because television, you know, now in the current environment, I think is resisting that. You know, there are some out, outlets that, you know, very much don't want to embrace the change and don't want to think about the audience. But certainly my time at the ABC, working for ABC2, was very much about, you know, where is the audience headed? How can we be one step ahead or how can we be with them? when they're transitioning from one place to another. Where are they congregating? How can I add value there? And you know what, David, to be honest, it's a little bit of letting go of the arrogance of assuming that I I can have a one-way conversation, I can put something up here, and because I am who I am, and I've been very lucky to work for two very trusted Australian brands, because I am who I am, they will come find me. So I think that's always been really a big part of my communication career and the way I approach comms is that you just can't, you just can't, you can't take anything for granted. You can't rest on your laurels and you have to constantly be thinking about your audience, what matters to them. We always in this team here, it's a bit of a byline for us. We kind of say, well, what's in it for them? So that that kind of is an underlying theme at all times for us, that we really want to add value to um, to people's lives, to, to people's understanding of what we do. And we do that by, by going out and, and seeking them rather than letting them come to us. Okay. So let's open the kimono a little bit here on the, 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 the CSIRO team that you you have there. Uh, what does your team look like and what are the skill sets that you have on your team? Sure. Yeah, I think we're actually quite unique here from my discussion, my conversations with other government departments or even other organisations. So uh, we have a team across CSIRO, we're an organisation of 5,000 of about 60 uh, communication professionals. Uh, we have a corporate communication team, and that's where I sit under. I sit under Lou Morrissey, who's the executive manager for brands and external comms. So basically, the content team are very much the gatekeepers. We are only a team of five, so myself, I lead the team. We have traditional media liaison, we have social media, and we also have a digital editor in that team. So the way, and this was... Uh, basically, we restructured the communication model last year, and I'm really happy with, with what we've got because what we've done is bring all of the, the ways we communicate with the external world, regardless of the type of audience, into one team. You know, even traditional media with the online and social, and I think that's worked really, really well for us because it means we have a real consistency around our communication strategy and that we look at all the potential avenues and we don't disclude anything. Uh, and we kind of we kind of think about where our content is going to leave or how we optimise our content for each of those different um, audiences. But supporting us, and there's only five of us, small team, but supporting us um, as the gatekeepers is a whole group of, we call them the impact science communicators. And they're the science communicators who actually, they, they still report into the communication function, but they sit within the science areas. 
So we'll regularly have conversations and you know, there's lots of kind of cross-group conversations around. Um, so when I say impact communicators, they're people who work in energy, uh, energy science and in manufacturing and in digital productivity. And they have those direct relationships with the scientists. So they, I suppose, come to us with the stories and around how they might shape those stories and we'll help, we'll help finesse that. So we're, I suppose, like I said earlier, the gatekeepers or the experts who kind of build the strategy around a piece of um, around a piece of science and a piece of technology, and how we bring that out to to the audience that we want to reach. So that's a, as you say, large organisation, five thousand uh, people, lots of areas that you, lots of stories to tell across mm-hmm. all of those different areas. Given that you have the science communities dispersed through the organisation. How do you pull it together in a strategic sense? What does your strategic process look like? Yeah, that's a really good question, Dave, because that's shifted quite a lot in the last few years. I think at the time that I started here, brand was a bit of a dirty word. Um, it was, it, <laughs> To be honest, it was very much about science communication. And, you know, we've got a new chief executive, Larry Marshall, at the moment, who's come to us from Silicon Valley, and he's got a completely different view of where our organisation might be headed. So... There's been so much fundamental changes in the last few years that I'm I'm really pleased to say brand is now at the forefront of everything we do. So I suppose there's two prongs in the way we approach communication here. There's one side which is very much our brand um, content strategy, and that is, you know, how we reach out to really all of Australia, to the general public, because we are, of course, predominantly a taxpayer-funded organisation, and how we communicate the impact and the value of what we do. And you're you may or may not have seen um, that we've recently had a big brand campaign called the CSIRO 7, and that's all about changing perceptions of, you know, what science is, what scientists look like and what we do here within CSIRO. So we've kind of plucked out seven of the best of the best of our smartest minds to kind of show people the diversity of our organisation and how actually, and you know, it might sound superficial, but it's actually very important that we can actually be quite innovative and sexy and um, young and dynamic and agile. So that's one example of, I suppose, a new, you know, way the organisation is headed is that we really want to want to put a key part of our communication effort on the brand and what it means to Australians. And then, of course, you know, underlying that is all the, you know, the, the, the communication pieces around the individual areas of our science. So, and, and that might be, you know, that last week we introduced uh, a new Hendra vaccine or an update to the Hendra vaccine or that in six months' time we might be doing some work in the energy space around solar thermal and there's a piece of technology there that we want to communicate. So, you know, there are a lot of... So we kind of bring those two together. So there's the, the kind of shift or the balance between our brand communication and then the day-to-day news items we have. And it's always this constant balance between the two. Yeah. So how do you ensure that you're not tripping over each other? That you're not telling sort of five stories on one day and then none the next and then absolutely how, how do you yeah. go about that it was a, it was a real problem for us we used to do we used to do that quite a lot um there are a couple of different ways which we've kind of reined that in firstly we looked at our, our media strategy a couple of years ago and said right we were doing upwards of 300 media releases a year they weren't coordinated and, and often they weren't very strategic they were about signing an mou or you know, the establishment of a research um, group. So we kind of started with that as the first step in how we kind of want to be more um, consistent and cohesive and strategic with our comms. So we brought all of that under one umbrella and, and we've kind of brought all this, the communicators together so that restructure I referred to earlier. Just having everyone report into the same person is actually a really fundamental part of being, I mean, it sounds really 
silly, but being part of a team and, and all wanting to have that, you know, having the same objectives and the motives. So we have, you know, we have content planning where we plan for what happens in the next six months, so all the way down to weekly meetings where we all get together. And that's it's a group of 10 or 15 of us. And we discuss what are the priorities that are coming up that week. And because we are now part of one team, it, you know, it's very easy to say, actually, no, this isn't a priority for us at this particular time. That story is going to have to move to this date. Or why is it that we put this story forward in September? Actually, we, you know, we should really bump it up and do it next week because of A, B, C, D. So just that restructure, bringing all the kind of key players in communication together, having a key um, communication strategy and, and all understanding that we're all working for the same outcomes and the same objectives has really helped us kind of finesse exactly what those stories might be. And David, I think a part of that too is the fact we have so many channels now. You don't necessarily have to say, no, we're not doing that. It might be that, yes, we're doing it that here, but not over there. Or maybe this is a story for Facebook or it's a targeted industry story, but it's not something we want to use on LinkedIn. So, you know, it's about picking and choosing and being strategic, but but not actually, it's really important for us. We don't ever say no. We just, we kind of just look at the channels and optimize the, the content for, for the channels. Yeah. Okay. And how, and how do you orchestrate that? How, who, who's the person who makes the ultimate decision? Who's the editor in chief who sits there and says, okay, this is the plan that we're going to execute? You know what? I don't think we do have one. I think we work so well collaboratively, collaboratively as a team. I'm very, very, We've had very few situations where a decision's been made that's not been supported. Obviously, we have a general manager of communications. That's Una Nielsen. And so I suppose she's in a shop and introduces herself as the grand poobah. So at the end of the day, you know, if we do have a big big clash and and, and perhaps some of the, the more executive members of the science teams aren't perhaps happy with the way things are going, Una will make an executive call. But generally within the communication team, we look at all the differing um stories and the differing um, kind of key, yeah, but I suppose the key stories that are coming up, key news items. And between us as a team, we understand that there's absolutely no benefit in saying, well, I need to go with this because of A, B and C, if if it's not actually going to be in the best, in in the best uh, interest of the organisation. So, I mean, Una does give us that, that kind of direction, but really as a team, there are four executive managers that within the within the communication team, and there's just a very kind of collaborative collegiate environment here that it's, it's very rare that we do have those kinds of kind of friction, I suppose, or, you know, arguments over what might happen when. So in terms of your planning and your editorial calendars, how far out do you have visibility around your program? Yep. So this team here, I think we we function more like a news team in that um, okay. we can turn content around fairly quickly. The two so, uh, social media advisors in my team basically can write can on blogs within a couple of hours if they're being supported by you know a communicator in the science area who can get them approvals or what have you. So um, the way it works is that we we do have a plan for the next month or two, but I always say to whoever I'm talking to, it is really highly dependent on the news of the day or what, you know, what might be running about us in the press um, might then also have an influence on what we proactively want to put out there. And David, increasingly, we're trying to be, um, trying to see what the editorial opportunities are out there in the real world. So if there's a, you know, big conversation going on about sharks, you know, we sit in an editorial meeting so we have a large editorial meeting on a Monday, but then a daily meeting within the content team to say, right, okay, how can we can, how can we add value to that conversation? Or is there something we might have done in the last few months that we can pull back out and kind of promote and get the story out there? So, 
this team is very responsive, but at the same time, you know, we work with the other communicators in the other areas and we have, we have a kind of vision of what's coming for the next three to six months. That's, I really love that idea, you know, that notion of connecting the organisation to the context and to the, that broader mm-hmm. conversation. How much of your success would you put down to being able to connect yourself to, to the context and those op- opportunistic opportunities that jump out of the ground? How, how much of those opportunities really help you in, in achieving your ambitions and your objectives? Yeah, look, I would I would say, and it's a it's a difficult question, Dave, because I feel like in terms of, you know, general media pickup, in terms of you know Facebook likes or the blog post views, it is definitely the reactive content. Sorry, the proactive content, where we go out and we say, right, there's a conversation we had about sharks. How can we add value? Yeah. That is by far, you know, the most success we see in terms of drawing an audience to our channels. Yeah. Um, and you know that has there's a lot of value for that. For us, in terms of brand awareness, and you know, and getting our getting our brand out there, and getting particular areas of our science out there, obviously that's very very important for us. But then the, the flip side is that there are all those stories that you know aren't necessarily about something that's topical at the moment, but it's very very important in terms of you know industry engagement. So it's for us, it's a little bit of a fine balance between, you know, we've got a great piece about how we helped you know, the, the manufacturing industry basically reskill and bring, you know, more jobs into Australia, we recognise that's probably not going to, you know, hit the viral button on the weekend, but <laughs> but we don't want to drop that story yeah. simply because we've got a story running about sharks. And we, we it's, it's a fine balance. Yeah. And, you know, and often it can be a little bit, you know, a bit of a, a tug of war with some of the communicators, but I do think at the end there's always there's always a nice agreement about okay, there's this story. It's going to get great brand awareness and great audience kind of move into our channels, but this is actually really vitally important for us. And are we investing enough of our resources into this particular industry engagement story as well? Now, the CSIRO has a a, a huge mandate, really, as you say, across essentially all areas of the Australian economy, you know, there's everything from the science research to the solar energy to the Hendra vaccines to, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of projects. And obviously it touches pretty much everyone from the young to the very, very old. How do you go about segmenting your audience? And then how do you go about building understanding about those segments? Very difficult. Um, yeah, it's hard. I, I know it, it's hard, it's, but, it's but do really you try? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, look, increasingly, particularly on our social channels, I, I'd like to say that in the first few years, and it's probably the same with any organisation, you really hung up on your followers. You hung up on the numbers and what they mean. And and I think we are in such a strong position where, you know, the Siren News Twitter account is something like the fourth most followed government account in Australia. And we, we do very well on Facebook, considering we're not, you know, a police organisation or the rural fire service. We don't do notifications. Considering that our information is just news and information, we have a really large following across those channels. But I feel like in the last year, as I said, because of the change in the focus of the organisation, it's very much about, well, where are we headed? Like, how are we going to, really, what are we trying to do on our different channels? So, David, to pull up some specific examples, and I suppose on Facebook, we see that really is our key channel for reaching what is increasingly an increasingly difficult age group to reach, which is the 18 to 35. We're very lucky that the majority of our followers on that platform are in that age bracket. So we really think very strategically about, okay, what do we put there? And what don't we put there? The corporate announcements don't belong there. Um, The kind of technical science stuff doesn't really belong there. When I say that, I mean the kind of niche 
very um, granular level science work doesn't belong there. But do you, know, do you pay to distribute your content on Facebook? No, we don't. We, we have been. We've been promoting our posts and only for a few dollars at any one time. But this team, I suppose the more that we do research and stats, we've realised that it wasn't bringing us any value at all, really. And so we've actually in the last couple of months stopped doing that, David. And, and you know, I'm sure Facebook in six months' time will change things and we'll probably see the impact of that quite dramatically. But for the time being, our, our organic audience and our organic reach is just is really does really well. And so we haven't looked at whether we need to invest money on that platform. Um, so, yeah, so Facebook we, we kind of see as our, our really our youth engagement tool. Twitter is very much for us about news and information sharing, and that, that is a key component of how we reach, you know, early adopters and um, um, the media and the media, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So when we have a, you know, media and, and issues, um, an issue that might be running in the media, that's, that's our key tool, and we use that in, in a really responsive, timely, very fast way. Um, the blog obviously is kind of longer form content, but not, not not corporate like the website. It might be, you know, about kind of getting updates on projects halfway through. And so I suppose the blog, we take a slightly different view. It's not about a particular audience, but it's about delivering our content in a slightly different way. So it's, you know, tone of voice there rather than reaching a particular audience segment. And then obviously, you know, with all of that going on, we don't, we don't take for granted how important our traditional media relationships are. So our media liaison still does a lot of work around harnessing those relationships. And for us, you know, getting to the segment of the Australian population, and, and we do quite a lot of um, research into our perception in the Australian public, reaching out to a segment of the market that is, is increasingly less aware of us, we still use traditional media. We still want to get on Sunrise and we want to get on the project. And so we, we kind of harness those relationships with those traditional media outlets. Okay. I want to be respectful of your time because I think we could talk for a long time and I think we'll have to come back for a, a, a part two because I'm really interested in almost starting the conversation of, okay, let's start on, on Monday morning. What do we look like? And in, I'd, I'd also be really interested to explore with you those content creation capabilities that you may have in the CSIRO, but we'll park that for the moment. But I just want to finish off with a, a, a question or a little a brief discussion around the sorts of skills that you, if I'm, if I'm a graduate or I'm someone going through university, what sort of skills am I going to have to have to be able to knock on Carol Saab's door and for you to be able to say, okay, that's table stakes, that may get you in the door. What am I going to have to be able to bring to the, to the team? That's such a good question because I feel like that's changed probably in the last couple of years. Honestly, first and foremost, and, and, and I'm surprised at how, at how little focus this skill set still, you know, kind of gets in the communication space, writing. You know, it is the key part of any communication role, in my humble opinion. No, I totally and, agree. And, first, second, uh, third, fourth and fifth most important things is writing. Absolutely. Because you, you can be a great writer and you can apply that skill set to any outlet. It can be a traditional media release. It can be a tweet. It can be a blog. So, you know, it can be to caption an image. So that is, for me, where it all starts. But, you know, increasingly in this space, I have to say, an understanding of social or online media probably comes... I don't want to say close second because actually it's second, but just understanding the environment, perhaps being a digital native yourself or just, you know, being very comfortable on social tools means you can bring a level of understanding and um, and just a kind of desire to want to know where the audience is moving and have a real kind of 
just a general kind of understanding and and thirst for it. So that's probably what I would say the second kind of kind of bunch of skills that I'd be looking for is a genuine understanding and and you know love of social or online media. And what about the actual creation of you know beyond the writing, being able to work on graphics, uh, create video, create audio? How important is that going to be? I'd say that that's that's probably for this the team at the moment. It's probably the the, the number three. So it's the rich media skills, and that's I suppose simply because we we have other areas within the organisation that kind of we lean on for that sort of content. I suppose we see ourselves more as the content creators in that, I'm going to say in my TV history, in that executive producer role, David. So it's more about yeah. where where we, we connect the dots and we lean on technicians and those with particular skills when we need to, but really we, we do the overarching, you know, what is the story? And, and how do we want to tell it and who's the, you know what is the audience and in what format best suits them and then we might kind of lean on others to help us but deliver that. So it sounds like that strategic thinking and being able to to link activity back to business objectives is also another key thing that people are going to have to know how to do. Yeah absolutely it's all we, we say the word impact and value all the time here so it's about yeah, this is a really great idea and it's very creative, but you know, where's the value where's the value to the audience and where's the value to the to the organization at the end of the day and how's that, you know, how's that delivering impact? Well, Carol Saab, thank you so much. And as I say, we will come back for part two in the not too distant future where we can really peek inside maybe a week uh, and understand a little bit about just exactly how things put together there at CSIRO. Congratulations on all your success. It sounds like you really are a model organisation or moving towards a model organisation, but I also like the idea that you're continuing to change and you really accept that, yes, our structure is really effective for today, but maybe in three months' time, six months' time, it's going to be different again as we continue to be you know, in the washing machine that is di- digital disruption around the media space. So thank you very much for your time today. Enormous amount of value for the audience. And I know that there's so many things that people will be now taking away to their to their jobs and thinking, ah, okay, I think we could maybe do a couple of those things. So thanks very much for being so generous with your time. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. For more, visit us at intransitionpodcast.com.au.